Hey everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Monday, August 30th. I'm so glad you guys are here. It's Mailbox Monday and you guys weren't pulling any punches. We're going to have some fun. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Washington State was once admired for its public schools, its thriving economy, the safety of our cities, and our raw natural beauty. People wanted to move here. Now, they want to leave. The truth is, the radical left has been chipping away at our great state for a long time. They spent literally the last 30 years dismantling brick by brick the very virtues and values that made Washington State a sought-after place to live and work. The Democrats' assault on public safety through the demonization of police officers trying to do their job is threatening to our peace of mind and to the safety we have long enjoyed in the district. In fact, the disastrous policies of woke bureaucrats have emboldened criminals by allowing them to avoid conviction and incarceration. I've had enough. We can do better. The dream that Martin Luther King had for this country is quickly fading as once again we're focusing more on skin color than on character. Have you had enough? Because the left is just getting started. Our constitutional walls have been breached. Even our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms is being threatened. I've had enough. This must not stand. It's time for a change in leadership. And the only way to combat the bold, hostile takeover of our American way of life is to elect bold leaders who love this country and are willing and ready to fight for her. I'm Heidi St. John, and I'm running for Congress because I know that together we can turn the tide and restore America to the values that have made her the greatest nation on earth. If you've had enough of weak Republican leadership and dangerous Democrats, I invite you to join me in the fight for the soul of America. There's no time to lose, and I'm just getting started. This ad was paid for by friends of Heidi St. John. So thanks for listening today. We've made it almost all the way to the end of August. And I really wanted to say how uh, thankful I am and appreciative for those of you who have been showing up to these events that I have been doing, to the Freedom Rally, hanging out with you guys, and just appealing to the Lord of Heaven's armies on behalf of this nation and of this area. I wanted to remind you that at 6 p.m., on the 1st. So coming right up this Wednesday, we are finishing up our 40 days of prayer with an appeal to heaven at Marshall Park in Vancouver, Washington. We would love for you guys to come and just uh, seek the Lord together with us. The Bible teaches us that if God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their sin that uh, and, and humble themselves, that God would hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. And we are, we are there. We need the healing touch of God more than we've ever needed it. So that's an appeal to heaven this Wednesday, September 1st. I hope you guys will come out for that. All right. I love to get your questions. So I'm going to jump right into them today. But before I do uh, too, too much, I want to remind you of how you can submit your question. If you go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday and submit it there. And I want to remind you again, I know I've done it before, but keep those questions short, short 
and sweet and to the point because there's a staff of people that goes through them and they have to be able to decipher them and put them into a language that's easy to understand. So keep them short and sweet and to the point. And you guys know me, there's not a topic that's really off limits because I love hearing what's on your mind. So if you want to have your question addressed here at Mailbox Monday, that's the way to do it. HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. Also, if you haven't found it yet, I have a brand new podcast that comes out once a week. It's called America's Town Hall with Heidi St. John. And I'm having guests on over there. We're talking about things that are happening politically. Boy, you know, the world's on fire politically, that's for sure. And uh, you guys might enjoy it. So check it out, America's Town Hall with Heidi St. John. And uh, I think you guys will be encouraged. You can also submit questions for that podcast by going to my Run for Congress's website. So HeidiStJohnForCongress.com, and you will find that there. I will also link back to it in the show notes today. All right, I'm going to jump right into your questions. We'll see how many we can get to today. Abby from Idaho. Hi, Heidi. I was recently told by a family member that she feels my posts are directly attacking her and that I'm rude, offensive, derogatory, and even racist. Wow, that's hardcore. I've asked several others if they felt that way about my post and they say no. How do I handle my family members when they are hurt by posts that are simply calling out facts and data? I've never used the term sheep or any other potentially derogatory phrase. I don't want to hurt people, but I also want to keep speaking truth. First of all, uh, Abby, there is a reason that Jesus called us sheep. You know, I grew up uh, with a, a few little hobby animals on a little hobby farm in Boring, Oregon. I was out there for quite some time, and uh, I recall being around sheep, and sheep are stupid. And Jesus said that we needed a sheep because we 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 are like sheep without a shepherd. And so, I don't often think. You know, I actually have u- used the term sheep quite a bit, and I think I have a mask with a sheep on it. <laughs> So it, it it kind of is what it is. But but to your to your question, I don't know if there's anything you can do about that. You know, you you always have to check your heart before you post on Facebook. Remember the internet is forever. The internet is forever. And I have taken to uh screenshotting terrible awful horrible hateful things that people say to me on my social media pages and I just make them into a picture and say, hey, just thought you guys might want to see what's going on over here in Instagram land, you know, Uh, because those people are truly rude and offensive and derogatory and racist. When you're speaking the truth, if you come at it from a place of love, you can only be responsible for your heart and what you say. You cannot be responsible for how another person receives it. And that would be my encouragement to you. I would say, don't worry too much. You know, you can tell her, I'm really sorry. If if it feels that way to you, feel free to unfollow me so that we don't have this angst between us. That might be the direction that I was taking it. But, you know, I mean, this, this idea that we're living in a snowflake culture is actually kind of, uh, we're seeing it bear out every day on social media. So um, hang in there and make sure that your posts, you know, you check your heart. And when you've done that, the rest is, is, it's not up to you. All right, Laura from Oklahoma. Heidi, our homeschool co-op is requiring us to sign, quote, what is this? An assumption of risk and waiver of liability relating to coronavirus COVID-19 in order to attend the co-op. It basically says we won't hold anyone but ourselves responsible if we get COVID as a result of attending classes or any activity sponsored by the co-op. How would you respond? Well, People are afraid, and I'm not talking about the China virus. I mean, they're afraid because they're afraid they're going to get sued, except for, it seems to me, employers who are firing people left and right for not getting the the Rona vaccine. So 
we're living in an upside down world. Do I want, would I require people to sign that assumption of risk and waiver? I mean, don't we take, don't we assume some level of risk every day when we walk out our front door? Don't we assume some level of risk when we're in our cars, when we're, you know, standing in the shower? I mean, how, you know, it's funny. I, I did a podcast on this years ago talking about the ways that people die. How many people die from slipping in the shower? How many people died because they, they failed to put their car in park? <laughs> There's just people die from all kinds of things. Life is risky. And so if the homeschool co-op, it sounds to me like they're just operating in fear. I don't think I'd be afraid to sign it. I mean, you're not going to sue them anyway. And that's what they want. That's what they're trying to get you to say by signing that ridiculous paper. They're trying to get you to say, I'm not going to sue you. I mean, if it was me, I would probably sign it and say, this is dumb and just hand it to them. <laughs> but then, then you're back to offending people. So I don't know, you know, but I just like to tell it like it is. I mean, they're, they're operating from a place of fear, but then fear is the prevailing spirit in the culture right now. And uh, so it's not surprising to me. Adam from Missouri. Uh, if Heidi, if you oppose selective service for women on biblical role grounds, why are you running for Congress? Wouldn't that put you in authority over men in clear violation of God's creative decree that men should lead? And that's not limited only to ecclesiastical matters. You can't have it both ways. Adam, I love your question. I really do. <laughs> Because a couple of things. First of all, you didn't hear me. I did not say that I oppose selective service for women on biblical role grounds. I said it's stupid to send women to the front lines. Selective service for women is stupid. And what I said was we have no one but ourselves to blame. We don't. The feminist movement has been out at the front of this now forever and ever. Amen. You know, anything men can do, we can do better. You guys remember that? And, uh, and we have emasculated our men and we have been, uh, trying to be men. And so now the culture says, fine, you want to be a man? We're going to sign you up for selective service and you can go to the front lines. Well, basic biology would suggest that women are not made for combat roles. Now, if they want to selective service you into, you know, putting on a headset and translating, you know, enemy, uh, enemy orders. And that's different. But I was talking about how foolish I think it is to draft women, which is what they were talking about into active military service on the battlefield. I think it's foolish. I think most women would agree that men are stronger. Now there are some women who are just, you know, they're super into it and they're bodybuilders or whatever, but the vast majority of women would agree that women are weaker than men as a general rule. So, uh, so Adam, it had nothing to do with, uh, the the role of women biblically. But since you brought it up, let's talk about it. So let's talk about Deborah, because I don't think that there is any more, there's any better picture of a woman in spiritual authority in the Bible. Deborah, you might recall, was the leader of Israel at some point in history. You can find her story in Judges chapter four, Judges chapter four and five, they record Deborah's leadership. And I don't, I've read that many, many times, and I don't see them mention anything about her being both a leader and a woman. And in fact, her gender didn't seem to be an issue at all. She might have even been married. She was described as a woman slash the wife of Lapidoth. But the Bible mentions nothing at all about her husband apart from his name. 
So this assumes, of course, that Lapidoth is her husband's name and not a description of Deborah's splendid or fiery nature. In Judges chapter 5, we read that prior to Deborah's leadership, the uh, village life in Israel had ceased. The roads were abandoned. Israel had chosen false gods. And the implication is Israelite society became more civilized, safer, and more God-fearing under Deborah's leadership. She was an excellent leader. She was a prophet, according to Judges chapter 4. According to Judges chapter 4, verse 5, she was also a judge. Judges chapter 4, verses 6 to 10, says that she was a military leader. She was a matriarch, according to verse 7. The Bible records that her prophetic insight was accurate, and she showed decisive leadership in military matters. And there are some amazing women in the Bible. Amazing. And uh, I'm going to link back to some of them in the show notes today because I think oftentimes, you know, when I get when I get questions like this, I think first of all, this guy, you know, completely has misunderstood my heart. I don't oppose. I'm going to say it again for you, Adam. I don't oppose selective service for women based on biblical role. And in terms of my running for Congress, I see absolutely nothing in the Bible that says that a woman can't run for Congress. What you're talking about is an ecclesiastical situation where the Bible says that women are not to be in the role of pastor in a church. And that is very, very different. And so I don't think that there is, I don't think that that me running for Congress is a violation of God's creative decree uh, because God's creative decree has nothing to do with my ability to lead the men and women of this nation. And so I and so I disagree with you on a fundamental level. Uh, so there you go. Tara from North Carolina. So many Christians are getting off the bench and onto the battlefield, and yet I still struggle with standing firm in a loving way and prioritizing God first, America's second mindset in everyday living. Can you help discover a verse or a phrase that can be a reminder of the way Christians have to stand for freedom as it honors Christ. So we know how to do that. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So our first commandment is to love the Lord with everything that we have in us. And then we love our neighbor. And then we are involved in uh I think civically, we're involved politically, we're involved in our churches, we're involved in our school districts, we're involved in all of it. And frankly, the fact that Christians have gotten out of the habit of doing that, out of politics, we decided, hey, this is this dirty, awful thing, we're going to wash our hands from it, and we're going to we're going to shame anybody who decides to get into it. I mean, that's how the church has been reacting for uh, many years now. And so I think that the way that you do that is simply by uh, don't overthink it for one thing. You know, you love God when you speak on his behalf. You're loving God when you make a decision to honor his authority in your life. You're loving God when you honor your husband or your or your wife. You're honoring God when you study his word and you prioritize his word. You're honoring God when you choose not to uh, not to engage in foul language and the misuse of of his name. Now, if you're worshiping the country, then we got a whole other problem. And then you could talk about, we can talk about idols. We can talk about, I mean, lots of different things, but it's not, it's not wrong to love this country and want to fight for it. And I think the main thing, and we talked about this last week a little bit, is really keeping from worry because worry does not honor God and honoring God by being his word, asking him for help, guys, spending time in prayer 
and then saying, Lord, I mean, we pray because we want instructions, right? We pray so that we can have a closer relationship with God, so we can hear his voice, so we can obey him, so we can do what he wants us to do. And so that would be, I guess that would be my answer. Dottie from Bargersville. Is that how you say it? Is it Bargersville, Dottie? I don't know. Heidi, I've supported your campaign financially and love your courage. On Wednesday's show, you stated all seven of your kids have been vaccinated as someone who's against forcing anyone to take it and don't believe in government's claims about it. I'm wondering why you vaccinated your children at home. So that's a great question. So you might remember that my oldest child is nearly 30. Uh, I grew up in the medical community. I had no reason to doubt vaccines. uh, And my mom, who worked in pediatric oncology for much of my growing up, obviously, uh, you know, very well respected in her field. She has her master's degree in nursing. There was a time when we trusted the medical community, and I think that time has passed, sadly. And I think the vaccines have done a lot of good. I did not realize that they were using, you know, uh, aborted fetal tissue. There are a lot of things I didn't realize about those vaccines, but having not been in those circles, uh, that's just how our life was. My mom, however, witnessed a vaccine injury when I was in high school. So we were involved in helping some immigrants come to this country from Romania. It was a wonderful, actually wonderful thing that our family, one of my favorite memories of our family. And uh, one of the pastor's kids they were required to get vaccines when they came into the United States. They gave their daughter the vaccine and she never fully recovered. She had a brain injury from it. There were several things that happened. And my mom, I remember after that saying that she felt like we should be on a slower vaccine schedule because she said, you know, you don't know when you get all these vaccines. And it didn't used to be this way. When you started out, it was one vaccine, two vaccines. I don't know what we're up to now. It's a crazy amount of vaccines that they want to, uh, they, they want today's young children to take. And so I put all of our kids on a very, very slow vaccine schedule. So I was the mom who years and years and years ago was saying, no, I don't want to do all three of those. Just this one. I'll come back in a couple of of months and we'll do another one. So it took a long time for the kids to go through their vaccinations. I have a totally different opinion about it now, obviously. And as my daughter is raising her children, she's doing a whole lot more homework. And again, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, what, what did we know then versus what we know now? You don't know what you don't know. And that would be my answer for you, Dottie. I, I definitely, I'm not even, you know what, if somebody wants to get the, the China virus vaccine, fine. But I am absolutely a hundred percent against forcing someone to take it. I just, that is, a nightmare to me. And I, it hasn't been around. All these other uh, vaccines went through pretty rigorous testing. And the things I'm hearing about this one, even from local nurses, and pe- there are a reason why the nurses don't want to take it. They see with their own two eyes, people coming in day in and day out that have been injured from the vaccine. And so I have a hundred thousand reasons why I'm against this one. And uh, I hope that answers your question. Dana from Oklahoma, do you have any thoughts on education for a family with special needs children? I am pregnant with our fifth child. Our oldest, who's 12, has Down syndrome and autism. He's like a giant toddler, nonverbal and in diapers. For the past few years, he's been enrolled in a private school community, which is solely for children with autism, and he loves it. What are your thoughts on specialized private school? You know what? I don't have an issue 
with that at all. My, my issue is with schools that indoctrinate children. I always believe that homeschooling is the best choice because it gives parents time to interact with their children. It helps you build relationships. There's so many reasons why. But I'm not against a private school, particularly a Christian private school, and particularly in your, in your case when it's working for your family. You guys have a very unique situation. It sounds like you found something that works for you. So um, I wouldn't feel feel bad about it at all. I would encourage you, like I always do, find out what the teachers believe, find out what they're teaching. Just because a school says it's Christian doesn't mean it's going to teach Christian values. It doesn't mean it's going to uh, share your values. And so definitely check it out. But I would, you know, um, unpack your bags. Don't go on the guilt trip because it sounds to me like you're doing the best thing for your family. Rachel from Kalamazoo said, I love the name Kalamazoo, Rachel. Can I just say it again? I I just, Kalamazoo, it just seems so happy. I hope it's happy there. My question is, we use the term they when talking about those that are purposely changing our country and threatening our freedom. Who is they? In other words, who is it that have been spearheading these efforts for decades and how do we root them out? That is a great question, Rachel. Last week I did uh, a couple of podcasts on socialism and communism and Marxism. I followed it up with another podcast on Marxism. I'll tell you who the, who the they is. These are people who literally believe this country was founded on, on um, evil ideas and they want to uproot the country and start all over again, not the least of which was Barack Obama, who said he wanted to fundamentally change the country, and we probably should have listened to him. So I actually blame the far left for a lot of what's happening in our country right now. You can easily root them out by asking them basic questions. What do they think about capitalism? How do they feel about the free market? How do they feel about you being forced to take a vaccine against your will? Uh, most of these people are coming out of our public schools and our public and private universities. And they have been taught to hate the country. They've been propagandized. If they're in the public school system, propagandized from the time they're five years old, it's a shame. And I think they're very easy to find by simply asking the right questions. What we have in this country right now is cultural Marxism. I talked about that a lot the other day. This is why you see a shift in language in the country. This is why it's so important that we never take for granted the fact that we have a very strong history of language in this country because these Marxists know that he who owns the language owns the culture. And so they're attempting to change it. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to my uh, my podcast on Marxism, because I think it was that in which I was talking about the end root, of course, of Marxism always is communism. And there are lots of kids in this area, in the in the Portland area, you know, they're wearing, you know, uh, they're wearing T-shirts with Che Guevara shirt, you know, picture of, of him and the and ridiculous dictators who have murdered people. And I've seen people with pictures of Karl Marx on their shirts and stuff. And I think, you know, we need to take this very, very seriously because Marxism is a philosophy. And when it's when philo- when that philosophy is lived out, you have communism. And uh, that's the truth. And so we need to be very, very careful. That was a really good question. You guys, that's all the time I have for today. I'm going to come back tomorrow and answer some more of your questions. I want to just encourage you guys, get off the bench and onto the battlefield. And I am excited to see 
what you guys are doing, how you're getting off the bench, please let me know how you're getting off the bench. You can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday and leave those, uh, leave those remarks there. Remember, please, to leave reviews for the podcast over at iTunes and any place that my books are sold. You're coming alongside us and buying those books and supporting this podcast financially really is helping us to do what God is asking us to do for such a time as this. Have a great day, everybody, and I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com.